Hello and welcome to The Flame, a Unitarian Universalist podcast, sharing messages of hope, love, resilience, and community. In this episode, you will hear about UU news and news from world religions. Enjoy. Hello everyone, Joe Chapeau here from the Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. Uh, in the young, where I'm the ministerial assistant, young adult coordinator. I'm also the founder of the Young Adult Revival Network. And I'm joined by your host, Roddy Biggs. Roddy, how are you doing? Wonderful. Hi, Joe. Welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be back. I love doing this. We've got, a, we've got five news stories today, three from about UU stuff and then two about other religious religions and uh yeah we're gonna talk through them today uh but before we go on roddy um we clearly need to rename this segment the news with a lowercase n and two capital views so like please make that the title when it goes out absolutely <laughs> awesome all right so obviously our number one story this one's like super obvious um here i'll get so the summary uh, after three years of Vicky Chavez, a Honduran uh, woman who is in the United States, uh, didn't come to the United States through the legal channels, uh, left the sanctuary of the First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City. She had been there for three years, never left the building, never even went outside pretty much from what I understand, uh, because they were going to deport her. And this was, of course, during the Trump administration and nowadays, um, uh she doesn't have to worry so i mean it's incredible like roddy what do you think it took for this congregation to host someone for three years yeah so very complex question but really what it took was a commitment to their faith and a willingness not to form a committee to study the issues like you use want to do but to respond to the urgency then it took mobilizing it took support it took resources it took pledges it took volunteer leadership to make sure that she was fed that needs were taken care of if i'm not mistaken she also had kids that were living with her mm-hmm. and so it an eight-year-old took, or something yeah so it took the entire church community coming together to essentially take on a tenant in their building. Three and nine, I guess the three and nine now, but yeah, a tenant. I mean, if you read the article, it's just, it just gets more amazing. They had people stationed outside of the church to make sure like um, immigration authorities weren't like waiting for her, you know, to like capture her if she slipped up for a moment. And I spent a winter in Salt Lake, and, like, it's cold in the winter. I can't imagine sitting in a car all night, like, in January. It's it's amazing what they did. And, I mean, I don't want to take away from Vicky herself. Like, putting up with that, having children, like, wow. I, I don't know if my congregation could do that, given the circumstances. Do you think yours could? No. We've been talking about becoming a sanctuary for three years now. And the farthest we do is Room in the Inn, which is a program that we've talked about prior, which is this on a like two day 
scaled, but for homelessness. Yeah, and according to the article, 1,168 days. I mean, yeah. that's an unbelievable number. That's basically three straight years. And uh, I know my congregation couldn't because we just don't have any on-site cleaning facilities, like self-cleaning facilities. And there's no shower at my congregation. So like legally, the government wouldn't let us do that because it's San Francisco's got hella regulations, you know, so... Have you ever been to Salt Lake City, though? If going through the airport counts, then yes. <laughs> so I mentioned I spent a winter there. Um, I, I have a extended... I'm going to tell a story, y'all. So i actually been to this congregation before. Um, I spent the winter in Salt Lake City from 2012 to 13. I have in my step-family. They're Greek. Um, I... Uh, there's a huge Greek Orthodox community in Salt Lake City. I'm not going to get into why that is the case. And I wanted to spend a winter with getting to know my grandma. I didn't have grandparents growing up. I basically, there's not, it's not a big part of my life. And, uh, um, so obviously while I was in Salt Lake City, I was also working at ski resorts. I went to the Unitarian congregations. Um, there's three, there's four in the state. There's first U church, Salt Lake, it's near downtown. There's South Salt Lake, South it's South Valley, South Salt Lake Valley. Um, it's 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 on the southern part of of the Salt Lake Metro area. There's the Pro Provo, or no, it's the Ogden Church. It's about fifty miles north of the Salt Lake Valley. And then there's the I believe at least at that point there was a church in Provo, but it was a church in a box. Like they operated at a community center once a week, and. I went to the first U Church of Salt Lake City. Um, really beautiful, beautiful old-fashioned sanctuary building, um, and then like a big old like like modern center, like multiple stories in the backside. And um, I'm not gonna lie, I found it a pretty standoffish community. I was surprised at the coffee hour that almost no one was coming up and talking to me um, as a new person there. Uh, so I have not the best impression of this congregation, um, but then to read the story, I was like, all right, you know, maybe it wasn't the right cultural fit. Every congregation, as you know, is like reflective of part in part of the religions of its area. And a lot of people there are probably ex-Mormons. And I've known Mormons. They're wonderful folks. I have a lot of disagreements with them. But they're a little standoffish, in my opinion. That's my opinion, folks. That's my experience. Don't, don't at me about it. Um, and I'll just finish by saying, I did go to the South Valley Salt Lake Church, and I loved that one. I went in there, went at coffee hour, someone was like, come over. I sat down, I was eating soup with these old ladies, and they're like, we're, a, you know, like, yeah, first use cool, but, you know, we're like the hippie California church out here. And I was just like, yeah, this is my congregation. I'm from California. So, I mean, really, just at the end of the day, first use church, Salt Lake City. Y'all, y'all are amazing. I want to shout your name from the rooftops. Check it out, folks. Like, really, it's incredible work they did. Any other thoughts, Roddy? Yeah, no, like I said, just to commit to doing that for over a thousand days is something that I wish all our congregations would do. And I keep saying that we need to get rid of board governance and board structures. But in order to do that, they clearly had to do that. Yeah, so 
Alright folks, well our next story, we don't have a news article to link to, this is a little bit of breaking news, um, just this morning, so uh, I run, I run, I refer to them as front door emails, when you get your like info at, at you know, uusf.org, your admin at first you whatever, you know, it's that email that's like the generic email you, you send a message to. Um, when you don't know who else to contact that comes to my my work email and this morning I look open it up and I see that uh oh that a um I just get an email saying informing us that after a review the Reverend Scott McNeil who I believe worked in Nebraska if I'm not mistaken I could be wrong but they were removed from UUA fellowship by the ministerial fellowship committee effective about a month ago um April 11th uh personally like again i'm not a minister roddy so like for me it was just like i have no idea what this story is it's kind of weird getting this email out of the blue without any context as to what's going on also like apparently three weeks later um so for me personally i my opinion it doesn't really work to like give this information but like have no context because i'm like i'm just like what's going on here even if the you know so you're a minister in trading. What's your perspective on this particular situation? Yeah, so it's very complex. It's very messy. But I will say that I know that the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, which is the group that ultimately confers that a minister is able to be ordained and also has the power in the agency to remove a minister's fellowship, doesn't make these decisions lightly. And I mean, I know what you know, Joe, but I also know at the end of the day that it says that bullying in the workplace took place. Mm. And I know that the ministerial code of conduct doesn't allow for that to occur. Then just with a quick search, it seems that he was serving in the Bloomberg, Indiana church and resigned in 2020. Yeah, that's all I could find in the Google search. And we were talking a little about this before. I, I'm fully appreciative of the idea that like they didn't give a lot of information because there's probably confidentiality reasons. And I would still like to know, I mean, it, it's, it just, it just, it's like it came out of the blue over here, and it seems like a big deal to send this kind of email to like every congregation, but then have nothing to offer, like in terms of what really went was going on. I can't deny part of my curiosity is also like, look, like, like y'all, I like gossip. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I think we all do on some level, but this is obviously a very serious matter at the same time. So I'm probably collapsing those two feelings. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Another piece of it is that the MFC not only recognizes when ministers are ordained, but will also, like it says, according to the rules and policies, they have to let congregations know because they don't want this person serving in another congregation. And if they don't take a stance and put it out there, then who's going to know? So four years from now, that name might come across a UU congregation and they'll be like, I heard something there and be able to go look it up. You know, I didn't know that. And that's again, like, I wish they would have said that in the email. I mean, 
granted the people who really need to know this are like the senior leadership and other ministers they're gonna understand it so thank you for providing that context roddy that actually helps and you know I, for those who don't know i actually have a degree in journalism i considered becoming a journalist i still kind of am i produce a newsletter every week uh and context helps in my opinion but that's my like non-ministerial perspective on this all right, folks, that was kind of heavy, I know. So let's like, let's talk about, I don't know if this is lighter, but it's certainly not as heavy. Um, this one's curious, this was curious. So an the headline here for our next story is embattled homeowners property going up for auction in Greenfield. Uh, this is Greenfield, Massachusetts. Now I have a little news alert tracker on Google that like lets me know all the stories that it can find. I was like, what the hell's going on with this one? I look it up. The story is, is an individual who claims to be a advocate for the homeless uh, owns a property in Greenfield, Massachusetts. The, unfortunately for them, they are deeply indebted to like multiple banks from what I can tell. Uh, they have a couple mortgages and there's like a lien on the property, which if you don't know what a lien is, it's basically a legal thing that says like this property is indebted and like if you buy it, you're buying the debt as well um, and all the problems that come with that. Uh, but he wants to donate it to the local congregation. That's All Souls U Church in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Again, he claims to be an advocate for the homeless. So what we can infer is that his desire is to donate the property to the congregation so they could use it to, I assume, house people, right? So Roddy, my question is, uh, would you take the property in this situation? <laughs> like if you were a minister or, or senior leader, and someone comes out like, I got a piece of property, but I'm also really indebted on it. Would you want to take it? Like, please let me know your thoughts. Mm. He's thinking people, he's thinking hard on this one. Yes and no. <laughs> me too. Let, let me hear no. your logic. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I would try to encourage the congregation to take it because more good could come out of it. But I would work to make sure that the individual has no control over what happens. That we sign a statement of understanding saying that we are taking it on, that we know assume the debt and work to go through that. But at the end of the day, taking on something for homelessness and making it a ministry of the church, we can increase pledge drives. We can take out a loan that churches often do for reconstruction or for expansion. And maybe this person needs a break. It doesn't necessarily say why they're in debt Maybe they thought that they could take it on and by the church taking it on will free them to live their life in a way that they're not able to. So at the end of the day, I'd have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns, would have a lot to work through, but would ultimately probably try to have the church assume all responsibility and ownership of the property because Having a space in a city for a homeless shelter is an amazing ministry.
I I agree. Look, if, if if a house in San Francisco comes along like this, the answer is yes, because my God, it's a house in San Francisco. These things are insanely valuable, like for all sorts of reasons. But this, in my opinion, the smart answer is no. Um, just because like reading the article, it's pretty clear, like he's not going to be able to give it to the congregation from what I can tell it's going to go up for auction and basically any money made from it is going to get distributed amongst the, 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 not, not the, the people who he, this person owes money to basically. But I really also would want to say, yes, I just, you know, it, it's kind of our, like, you got to assess the situation. We don't know this person. And in my experience. I've just we've dealt with um, over the years I've worked for my congregation I've just interacted with and dealt with a number of people who are not well and this um and this uh, this seems like one of those situations where it's like this person I don't know if they're doing well in their head and their heart and head basically we don't know we're speculating but it's just certainly a weird story isn't it Roddy <laughs> yeah but honestly at the end of the day, as Unitarian Universalist, I choose, or as a Unitarian Universalist, I choose to see the light in every situation and would still love to be able to help out in any way. So, I don't know. It's complex, it's weird, it's a unique story. Yes. And it kind of leaves me wanting more pieces that aren't provided. Yeah, I think unique is the right word. Like, this is a very interesting situation. You know, we wanted to highlight it because it's like, yeah, like, this is the stuff churches deal with. Like, working in faith community is not like anywhere else. These things happen, basically. It's it's bizarre, it's bizarre and one-offs here and there. So, uh, so yeah. So our two other news stories today, folks, we have, um, we're going to talk about the stampede in Israel that happened, and we're going to talk about um, a Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University. Uh, so um, most of you probably have heard, but if you haven't, last week, okay, I'm going to try to do this right, folks. I want to get the actual name of the festival that it was, so hold on a sec. La, uh, Where's the name of that festival, my friend? Uh... So last week, Israel, what was the name of that festival? Uh... So last week at Mount Moron in Israel, I cannot tell you where that is in Israel. There is an annual festival there. It's, um, it's held to honor a prophetic visionary uh, rabbi um, who died on the same day. Oh, here it is of uh, Lag Bomer, um, which is a one of the many Jewish traditional holidays. Um, so there's like so it's not only was it already a holiday, but then this like really big deal rabbi at one point in history passed away on this day so it's now like a double like if you're really into his, this particular uh, rabbi's like teachings and view of jewish judaism uh you know this is both a way to celebrate this festival and like his passing unfortunately there was a stampede basically the from what we can gather uh on one walkway leading out of a, an arena that was like 100 tens of thousands of people were out um some people slipped a whole bunch of people slipped and then no one did anything to like help the people and they just walked over them 45 people passed away 
it's a tragedy. It's Israel thinks considers it one of their worst, if not their worst, peacetime tra um, peacetime tragedy death thing, um, in their history. Now, I was I've been, I'm personally really interested in international news, so I've been like really reading up on this. And what's fascinating is it's come out that the place this took out, where this took place out, Mount Moron, exists in this like weird quasi-autonomous legal situation. That basically the festival is operated by a committee that represents five groups. Some of those groups do not recognize the legitimacy of the Israeli government. This is a common theme throughout ultra-Orthodox Judaism. And um and because it's like five committees plus a whole bunch of government institutions that claim some kind of responsibility for the land. No one's claiming responsibility for what happened as a result. So as you use, you know, Roddy, we try to relate to everyone, be loving. You just said it yourself with regard to the homeowner situation. And in this case, we're dealing, you know, we're talking about Israelis, Jewish people, one, you know, one of history's greatest persecuted marginalized groups. But how do we as a use relate to that this marginalized community, even when this community has these like extreme ultra conservative attitudes that result in situations like this where 45 people needlessly died because I, I could go on. So what are your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, so no one said being a Unitarian versus was easy. No one <laughs> ever said that always trying to see inherent growth and dignity in somebody's going to be an easy task. We don't have to think alike to love our neighbor. We don't have to think alike to know that at the end of the day, someone's worthy of compassion, that when tragedy occurs, we don't lend a hand. So I think of times of war. And this could just be because I just finished my undergrad and was in a US history course this semester. But so often the professor would be saying, I don't know if when people were fighting in World War II, if it really mattered if they were Christian or atheist or Muslim or Jewish, or if they were Republican or conservative or liberal. They were doing something because they knew that that's what needed to be done. Granted, war is not necessarily the prime example because that's a whole nother level of complexities. But at the end of the day, war does bring people together in that sense. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat because you are part of the armed forces at that moment. And so as Unitarian Universalist, we are called to be a part of a religion that at the end of the day, we say that everyone has an inherent growth and dignity. We're called to not be on the sidelines. And if a ultra conservative religious community needs a helping hand, who else would be better suited to do so than a religion that says at the end of the day, you have inherent growth and dignity. We're not judging you. We don't have to agree with you, but you have a growth and dignity. And we see that, we honor that. And you know what? We can put our differences aside and help each other. 
That's why the minister, man. You definitely have, every time I listen to you this this conversation, you're tempering my more like, uh, what do, how do I put it? Like my um, not frosty. What's the opposite? My bubbly at it. You know, it's like ah, uh, the part of me that's fizzy. That's like, I want to fight. You know. Yeah. And I and you're totally right. It, during the tragedy happened. This is not the time to like hold them to account. This is time to help these people. Like it doesn't matter who they are. They're also not actively harming folks as a community, you know, so that's another, but at the same time, if I were to say anything, like, this is just an ongoing problem in Israel where, like, there's these sects that are allowed to operate with this level of impunity in their society. And I'm really like, it, it's frustrating because it's like, y'all, we live in a global society. You can't just live your life anymore as if you don't aren't part of like a giant ecosystem and you're dependent on it and that's like a very high level criticism that's also like applies to a whole host of groups throughout this world so it's really it's just it's i think and i can say personally no one taking responsibility that always gets under my skin i mean the fact that like None of the planning committees, no government agency, everyone's blaming each other. No one's stepping up to take some ownership of the situation. And that, if you know, I want to help this community. Part of helping a community is getting things complete. And if no one's taking responsibility, it's not going to get complete. It's going to continue to fester. So it's a tragedy, but it speaks to like larger problems in Israeli society, basically, and in our global society. So... The final story we want to end on today, um, this one's a bit more of a, well, it's funner for us progressive types. So if you don't know, um, there's this Zurich University, it's called Liberty University. It's a like world-class global um, Christian evangelical institution. It's, 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 it's considered a very good school from what I understand. I hear many of its students, like regardless of their faith, like really like going and attending there. Um, and it was founded by this guy named Jerry Falwell. He was a big deal evangelical preacher in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. It was the era of like the televangelist mega church leader. Um, and he was like the the Irv model, like the, the guy who you would think of. So when he passed away, his son, Jerry Falwell Jr. took over Liberty. Now, Jerry Falls Sr. was a reverend and a really respected one, regardless of what he thought of his opinions. His son, though, is not. His son is a business person and is very responsible for why Liberty went from a kind of small, mid-sized Christian college to, like, a global institution. It has, like, 100,000 students. It's insane. It's a huge, huge university now. Um, but basically, long story short, a couple of years, like last year, in fact, he or was it last year or maybe it was like a year and a half ago, uh, he came under scandal. See, Liberty University has a moral code. I don't agree with moral codes like this, but, you know, I didn't go to school there. But that moral code is things like don't have sex outside of marriage, no drinking, like there's like a dress code, too. And it's pretty strictly enforced here. Again, it's Christian college. I don't agree with it, but I didn't go to school there. And my, again, my understanding is people who do go there for the most part, they're like, yeah, it's fine. It's part of the atmosphere. Unfortunately for Jerry Fallow Jr., he was photographed. He posted a photo on Instagram of himself, like out of dress code, holding an alcoholic beverage with his arm around someone who wasn't his wife. 
And this set off a furor that led to him getting fired and sued by the university for like dereliction of duty and leadership. So I'm not going to read my first question here, folks, because it has a swear word in it. And I know we have some young people here, but this guy, right? Like, here's my question, Roddy. You know, do we give the university, like the reason they fired him is they were like, you broke the moral code, dude. Like, you can't be our president and like do this stuff. So do we give the credit university credit for actually like living their values and ousting him? Or is this just like the cows coming home for, you know, Christian leadership in a way? What are your thoughts, man? So again, probably coming from a more ministerial side, I don't necessarily agree with Lee University or with Liberty University. So I don't agree with their morals, with their codes or conducts. But to me, it's the same story as the UUA deciding to remove a minister from fellowship because we have a code of conduct that when someone becomes a Unitarian Universalist minister, they say, I am going to do my best to uplift, to live into, and to work within this covenant community. And Liberty University has that same thing. So, yeah, I give the university credit for recognizing where their code of conduct was broken and owning it and saying, no, you went against our understandings. You did something that is outside of the code of conduct, which this university upholds. And as such, you are no longer affiliated with us. So it's the same thing is going back to the Reverend Scott McNow, who ultimately did something that was outside of the UUA's realm that a minister could do or would operate in and being removed because they didn't meet our professional conducts anymore. Way to bring it, way to loop it back to another story, Roddy. I hadn't even thought about it. Like in that context i mean the reason i brought it up is this the latest this, i mean it's always like again i told you folks i like gossip and like this is just like gossip filled is this guy like they fired him but like a lot of students still really like him at the university and he was like crash he crashed some like fraternity event comedy show said he was gonna hold an alternative graduation party at his family's farm even though the university had recently sent a letter to like all staff and students saying like, do not interact with him. He does not work here. And if you do interact with him, you're exposing yourself to legal liability. Uh, you, you and the university to legal liability. And yet he is just like, he's operating as if like, he's gonna end up back there. And I, I, part of it, I, I do, you know what? Yes, right, I agree. I don't have to really agree with or like a faith community's morals to like respect them when they actually live them. It's a lot easier to work with people you don't like or agree with when they actually aren't, when they aren't hypocrites, basically, when they don't preach one thing and then practice another. But so I, I yeah, let's give them credit. And like this guy had been doing this kind of stuff for years, basically. I mean, this was like the cow that broke the camel's back, but he was like notoriously mixing religion and politics. He was a huge Trump backer in the 2016 um, 
uh, primary and general election, he was already like really outspoken and and I still feel like on one like pretty much for me my attitude is like this guy was clearly like a ticking time bomb if you looked at his behavior and it's just kind of it is both like I respect them and the cows came home for them basically that like they put up with this probably far longer than they should have and this was just the thing that finally like let him go but yeah. now they have to deal with a man who's used to working with impunity basically and still operating as if he has it and that's oh I, I, I do not do not envy them do not kind of reminds me of the gadfly paper situation we are not going to talk about that my god <laughs> maybe one day we'll talk about that right even i don't know what the latest on that disaster was <laughs> let's not even let's not even folks if Basically, you want to learn more about it, just search the name. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm not getting involved. You know, yeah. Basically, if someone's behavior is erratic before you fire them, you know, for something, maybe you should, like, let them go sooner or something like that. Anyway, folks, so that's our news stories this week. Uh, Roddy will put all the links to the articles in uh, the show notes. Uh, if of course if you have a story, by all means, reach out to us. Uh, yarn at uusf.org. You can find us on social media. Um, and uh, other than that, Roddy, um, thanks for joining. I mean, I love talking about this stuff. You definitely have a different perspective than I do, um, and I appreciate that. Of course. Thanks so much for coming on, Joe. All right, folks. We'll see you in two weeks. Have a good day. <laughs>